attitude. It's difficult even to come up with good illustrations because the illustrations ended up being somewhat controversial. Uh, so, you know, we're trying to be practical and yet not to provocative. And uh, this is a challenging, fa- challenging passage to know how to apply. I do think it's helpful and important. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to work our way through it and uh, appreciate the, the comments, appreciate the maturity of the comments all week, which is really helpful. Uh, obviously, I don't know everything. None of us knows everything. So we're just trying to share with each other. Trying to share with each other. So uh, we're looking at 14, but somebody we 7 and 12. Not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, for if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. If you just say, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both the dead and the living. For you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God, so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Clearly, our main focus and goal needs to be the Lord. We are bottom line living for the Lord. We are seeking to please the Lord. In every question that comes up, our sole desire is to understand the Lord's will and follow that. That has to be our guiding line. And that's what he's saying. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves. We live for the Lord. We die for the Lord. We are the Lord. And and we need to live our life in that God-centered way where what we really want more than anything is for God to be glorified. We want to fulfill his will. And so we are, are trying to respect him and respect him as the judge. He is the judge, the sole judge. We'll stand before his judgment seat. We'll submit to him. We'll give an account to him. So, clearly in this passage, there needs to be some reluctance to judge our brother. I mean, obviously we have this challenge to understand when we're judging our brother and when we're helping him to overcome sin. And we do care about our brother. We care about helping build him up to avoid Satan and temptation. But there's a difference between helping him overcome sin and setting ourselves up the judge of his conviction. And even if we have a struggle to understand exactly how to apply this in every situation, he is saying, don't judge don't regard your brother with contempt. In whatever areas we're talking about here, there is a there is an area of things in which we need to be cautious that we're not setting ourselves up as the judge of our brother. That's the Lord. And so, I will sometimes see some brothers that in every way they have shown themselves to be good, faithful, reliable brothers. I see their love for the Lord. I see their commitment to God. I see the care and something they do bothers me. Some conviction they have just is a struggle for me. And how do you deal with it? And there are going to be some things that are just a matter of absolute right and wrong, absolute truth and error. I'm going to have to oppose them. But there are going to be some things that I'm going to have to say God will be the judge. I don't think this is right. I don't 
them, but I do respect them as my brother, and I will let God be the judge. I understand that we're struggling to know exactly when to apply that principle. But that principle is here. And so in some senses, in some ways, at some times, it does apply. Comments and questions for that? So I was thinking about this earlier. I heard someone say that the example you gave about setting the boundaries of what you'll consider acceptable for a movie. That we can, in every situation, almost find someone that is more um, restrictive and more permissive than we are. And your, your last thought about the being careful for ourselves, humility is absolutely key because it's going to be that more restrictive person, we may um, we may be inclined to uh, dismiss them, or um, or in the worst case, feel bad about ourselves, or, or question our relationship with God because we're not doing what they do. Or we can be more arrogant with those that are more permissive than we are, um, because well, look, I'm, I'm more righteous than they are. That they're clearly not pleasing God as much as I am. So that. that Humility is the key as we think about, about this passage in our relationship. I'm going to throw out another area. I, it's hard to know the best ones, but it might be helpful for us to have a second illustration. There are probably better ones than these. Here's another one that I think is relevant. What do you do with things that approach the idea of gambling? And let me see, and think about what all you have to deal with. I've got a friend in Brazil who is a Christian on a get off again, very knowledgeable. <laughs> he is addicted to gambling. He plays the lottery, but he spends a good bit of money doing that. And it is very much enslaving. And here's what he does. This is the, I know this sounds bizarre. He is 50-some years old. He's a rational, intelligent, knowledgeable person. But he's confessed to me he does this. It gives him a high to buy the lottery ticket. He'll go and buy it. It is depressing when he confers it and finds out he didn't win. Much of the time, he will throw the ticket in the trash and never confer it. He said, he, he told me, he said, I guess that's kind of like just taking the money and throwing it in the trash. I said, I guess it is. <laughs> now, from my perspective, knowing this, I've got a pretty strong reaction against him. Because that's destroying him. That is the thing that has been his besetting sin. He's got other issues. But that's the thing that he's never gotten away from for the last 35 years. And it just consumed him. Destroyed his marriage, destroyed his life. There were other things. But I really do believe, I knew him very well, know him very well. I think that is his weakness. So I think there's strong reason to warn about that. But I grew up with some of these kind of things. What do you do when you go to the county fair and you put, you know, give them a quarter and you try to get some, you throw in something to try to get some prize? Is that gambling? You know, you put a quarter. And you might, you might not, it's a chance, you might get it. And what if you, you know, have a pool for the NCAA uh, tournament, and you put a dollar in, and whoever wins it gets, gets all the money. 
you know, and so forth and so on. Now, I think we probably got all sorts of gradations on things like that. As to what we would do and what we would, what we would consider gambling and what we wouldn't, you know, what we would think of as right and wrong and that. I think all of us would see, my friend, that's a terrible slavery. That's an addiction. That is greed on his part. And, and just try to put some game of chance in the place of the Lord. And, and that scares me. That, that has been good for me because it's made me really realize, wow, those things get a hold of you and destroy your body. And they have a lot of people. He's not the only one. He's just the one I'm the closest to that, that that's happened to. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of us who would say, you know, I can put a quarter in the machine and try to get some prize and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, but, but there's some brethren who wouldn't do that. They would believe that would be wrong. And what would we do? We respect the convictions of those who are more restrictive than we are without judging those who may do some things that, uh, maybe that's too close to the edge. Um, I, there's just a lot of things like that. That, you know, I, I would certainly want to warn people. I do warn people about my friend. I use it as an illustration. You've got to be careful about this stuff. You know, this can destroy your life. And yet, I can't just make a rule that you never put a quarter in a pool to, uh, you know, to, you know, gain some prize. Um, so that might be another illustration that helps us some. Probably, uh, we, we may more tend to be a little less restrictive in that one than we are in the movies as a whole. Uh, but, but it, it just helps you think through those things. And some of you have been like me. You grew up with some standards that were quite restrictive on that, that you've come to see, you know, I wouldn't have that much problem with that. Uh, but, but we need to respect each other. And, and, and you see these things. That, I mean, I'm going to have me hard pressed to come up with a verse that's going to just, you know, say, this is the right and this is the wrong. We're, we're applying principles. We're reasoning through consequences and, and tendencies and, and things like that. Maybe that helps. Uh, let's go ahead and read another section before we do more comments. Why don't we go ahead and read the rest of it? Would somebody read 13 to 23? Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. Not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know that I am convinced from the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, him is unclean. For because of food, your brother is hurt. You're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in the way serves Christ and is susceptible to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man to eat and gets offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which the brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have it your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. All right, this deals with a little different aspect of this. It says, let us not judge one another anymore, but determine this not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. We're not to encourage a brother to do something he believes is wrong, to violate his conscience, his convictions. So, 
we may have the right to do something, but we're we temper that right by what's best for our brother. Um, and he says, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing's unclean in itself. Where does Paul stand on the food issue? He can eat it all. But to him who thinks anything is to be unclean, to him is it unclean. So you've got a brother who believes eating this food is wrong before God. What happens if he eats it? Why is it sin? It's not wrong to eat food. Why would it be sinful if he thinks it's wrong? Why is violating your conscience? Why is that sinful? Why do? You, but why is it sinful to violate your conscience? Say again. Yes, but if it's not really wrong, faith—you gotta have faith. You're violating your conscience. You're violating what you understand to be your faith. You need to be able to do stuff. According to your that is true. That is true. See? I think it has to do with, with protecting the sensitivity that the conscience can give you. That's so, true also. So if I harden it, then it won't protect me when... That's it, true. Yeah, you're right. But let me give you what I think is the most fundamental. Look, if I believe that eating X is against God's will, and I eat X. What have I just shown? I am willing to do what I believe God doesn't want me to do. That is a rebellious attitude toward God. Maybe he doesn't care. But I think he does, and I'm willing to do it anyway. I am willing to rebel against God. I'm willing to, to do something that I think would displease God. Now, all that you're saying about the conscience is true. The more I trample my conscience, the less sensitive it gets, and I can't afford that. I need a sensitive conscience. So there are other ways of, of looking at that, other principles that are important in that as well, for sure. Uh, but but I do think just seeing that impact on, uh, you know, in, in terms of, of just the rebellious spirit. So, I don't want to encourage my brother to do something he believes is wrong. I was asked to break, what if you just, it just feels wrong to you. You know it's right, but it feels wrong to you. Well, there are things like that. There are things that you know, I grew up with, that objectively, biblically, I know this isn't wrong, but it feels weird. You know, uh, this is not a biblical thing, but, but you know, I use this illustration a lot. You know, growing up, my parents were very conservative economically, and one of the taboos was opening the refrigerator door and, and, and looking. <laughs> you were wasting electricity. <laughs> it was a mortal sin to open that refrigerator door for any longer than it took to grab that thing and get out. <laughs> and sadly, did not grow up with that same taboo. <laughs> so I got married. And horror, horror, she surveyed the refrigerator when she opened the door. Like, this is running your fingers across the chalkboard. It seems so wrong. Now, you know, objectively, even then, you know, really? See, how much electricity really does that waste? I mean, you know, I knew intellectually that can't be that much. But it felt wrong. It felt like you just done this terrible thing. Because in my household, I mean, that was that was serious. 
know, that's the way we are. We are products of how we, how we grew up. So there are things that I believe are right. I'm convinced they're right. I've studied the Bible. Man, if I were to do them, I would feel so guilty. So we're not talking about you know it's right, but it feels weird because you've always thought of it as wrong or your parents thought it was or whatever. We're saying you've got a conviction about it. You believe that God doesn't want you to do it, then don't do it. He says, for if because of your of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food, improving by stock. I mean, if you hurt your brother, if you cause him to violate his conscience, you're not acting according to love. Christ died for your brother. Don't think more of your food than Jesus thought of his life. If he's willing to die for your brother, surely you can give up some food for your brother. Um, you know, you think you've got to value his spiritual life, his eternal life. Um, and so he says, don't let what is for your good thing be spoken of as evil. You've got this liberty, but don't let your liberty cause you to hurt some brother. Use your liberty responsibly. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom doesn't exist to just satisfy your food and drink references. Uh, focus on what matters. Um, do what's acceptable to God and approved by men. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In all things, seek peace, seek harmony, and seek to build up your brother. Strengthen him spiritually. And avoid the things that hurt your brother. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of your food. Think about the value of his soul. Give up your liberty if you have to. You think about it this way. As, as a strong brother, I can eat or not eat. Either way is okay. But my weak brother can't eat. So it's easier for me to make the choice not to eat than for him to make the choice to eat. When he makes that choice, he sins because he's violating his conscience. It's good not to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Whatever you have to give up for the sake of your brother is worth it. Uh, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Uh, don't try to proselytize other people to your conviction. And uh, he who doubts is condemned to be eaten because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So, it is true that when I do something, I really have conviction that God believes is wrong. Then I'm rebelling against God and I'm sinning. I want to protect my brother, so I don't want to do something that's going to lead them into sin. Um, it's going, and, and, and think about this. There's several ways to lead a brother into sin. It's been many years ago. Uh, there was a new convert, bad background. A few months into his conversion, he and me and another guy were going out to eat. Sandra was gone. She was going to visit her mother or something. And uh, so we needed to go out to eat. Well, I went to a decent place to eat. It was a Mexican restaurant that had good food. Uh, and so we went. And this new convert was just really weird inside the restaurant. Got really fidgety and on edge. You know, I didn't know what was going on. And uh, we got done with our meal. And as soon as we got done, let's go. So we did. We got outside. He said, that made me feel really uncomfortable. He said, I always went into places like this to drink. Well, there was a bar associated with that. Some of you probably wouldn't do that. Most of you probably would. 
I never thought of the place as anything other than it's a place. I've never drunk a drop in my life, so it wasn't even something I thought about. I hadn't thought about it. For him, that was a temptation. He'd had a drinking problem, drinking background. And to go into a place with a bar, for even though we weren't at the bar, was, was, it was uncomfortable for him. It made him think about the old times and all that. I hadn't thought about that. I tried to be more sensitive about that when somebody comes from a, a background like that and just start thinking about what things might be a problem for them. Uh, but it would certainly, if I had known that, the thing to do would give up that restaurant for the sake of your brother. You know, you wouldn't take him there. Take him somewhere where there's no drinks allowed, you know, or whatever. So that it preserves what's best for him. So sometimes it's not a matter of conscience like you're doing wrong. It's a matter of uh, tempting him to sin. You're doing something that would, would be a stumbling block for him, which would, would, would uh, uh, you know, be a, uh, you know, kind of an inducement for him to do the wrong thing. So we're always trying to think about what's best for my brother, not what do I have the right to do. Thoughts and comments on all that? <coughs> For you to think about what's best for your brother, you have to know your brother and know what their struggles are so that you can be watching out for them. Good point. We need to communicate. We need to be seeking to understand and know our brother. Good point. Other thoughts? Yeah. Uh, If the brother feels more restricted regarding his behaviors than you, um, but if he does not have an influenceable you know, uh, conviction, is it still okay to perhaps be in front of him and do things that he's that he feels is wrong as long as he doesn't feel persuaded by my actions to do the part that thing? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to uh, use discernment on all those things. Um, there may be some brother who has some conviction about something that's not at all affected by what you do. Uh, okay. Uh, but I think we need to be careful about that, thoughtful about that. Our basic thing here is be concerned for your brother. Be careful about to do something that's going to hurt. Okay. I've had situations where it, it doesn't cause it doesn't cause anybody or tempt anybody, but it just makes people certain people feel uncomfortable because they they do have this binding thing where you they think you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that, and then it puts them in an awkward situation when they see you do this or that, where you you know that there's really no biblical evidence for it. They think that that there is, but just to keep the peace, you know, if, especially if you know that there is no balance, then just don't don't uh, go ahead and defer to them, you know, because especially if it's something little, I mean, what it's not worth it. Go ahead and like just to keep the unity. Don't just don't do it. Right. Yes. Yeah. We, we're seeking to pursue peace, and so we're careful about what we do. Um, there's all kinds of scenarios. Uh, there's all kinds of, of, of ways to look at this. We're trying to understand the principles so we can apply them properly. What do you do about this? Paul had Timothy circumcised, refused to circumcise Titus. How do you do that? Well, because there were two different circumstances. Timothy, if he were uncircumcised as a half-Jew, would have a hard time reaching out to the Jews and be heard. Titus, they were trying to force Gentiles to be circumcised to be saved. Paul would not give in on that point, and he didn't want them to use Titus as a case in point. Uh, so we, we're not trying to 
uh, cater to weak brethren who determine to dictate to everybody. Uh, but on the other hand, we are sensitive toward even things that are going to make people uncomfortable and things like that. There's no one rule that's going to satisfy everything. But trying to understand more deeply biblical principles, care about the Lord first and our brother second, will help us make good decisions. Other thoughts? I think one of the things that's really been beneficial to me in this passage is showing the room for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up where that wasn't the case, it was black and white. It was rules. You know, the Bible was rules. In fact, I got the impression that once you became a Christian, you read the rule book and you had everything right, wrong, and and if you didn't follow those, you're out of here. Whereas this gives the idea, it's like, okay, new Christians might not see things exactly the same way. Old Christians might not see the same things exactly the same way. But let's not kick each other out of the congregation immediately. Let's allow a little bit of room for growth. If it's a set of rules, there is no growth. If it's just a set of black and white rules, it's like reading the rules to checkers. You either know them or you don't. And if you don't, if you violate them, you're out of the game. But it's not that way with God. There is some room, and this I think shows that there is some room for growth. Yes, and there is. There are principles that you take discernment to understand how to apply. It's not just one size fits all rule. There are concepts and spiritual attitudes that we work to understand the best way to to, have, uh, to um, you know involve, use them in a particular situation. So there, there is more depth to this, and and certainly there's room for growth. And not all of us are going to see everything eye to eye. Ben, just a, a question on that. Um, I don't really think of the weaker the idea that we would want to change that and grow and overcome that, but some of the the, the things that we've talked about, the scenarios, um, they may be so deeply ingrained that that it may not be something that we overcome. So I'm just curious what you would think about or respond to someone that uh, is growing in their maturity and in their walk with God. But maybe some of the things that might fall into the categorization of Romans 14, uh, they may never move in their position on that. I don't think we're necessarily imagining here that either side is going to change. Maybe they will. Sometimes people do, but not necessarily. So I don't think that's the goal, is to make sure they change. Yes, at least. So, uh, there's a key word here, judgment. Uh, sometimes it's uh, confusing when you're talking. So can we judge or not judge? And then we can go towards Matthew 7 that it's similar but it's different. When it talks about judgment, and, and, and when we're talking about this, and sometimes if we, if we should get lost in this, you say, so okay, so if we're not even to judge at all, then we should not judge or something like Well, the things that are being addressed. So if you look at Matthew 7, when we're going is talking about judgment, he's really talking about holiness. He's saying you first need to be holy. You can have respect. So you can really help that other person. You need to be holy in that regard. Here, when he's talking about when he talks about judgment, what he's talking here is do not destroy something. 
Like he's talking about, about <laughs> solving and everything and it's almost like destroying someone with your meal or something. It's like it's talking it's about the opposite of love. It's how how with with uh, depending how you use the word judgment, you can really help a brother. You can help with judgment and with or anyway, not not in a bad way, but you can help someone grow and I think this is a bad chapter for it. 